This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Galton Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Today we are interviewing Mariana Trevino-Wright, Executive Director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas. Mariana Wright grew up with one foot in the country and one in the city at a time when cabbage whites and coral snakes were commonplace. She's fervent in her desire to protect the special creatures and features peculiar to South Texas. As Executive Director of the National Butterfly Center on the U.S.-Mexico border, she currently manages almost 500 acres of land in restoration and preservation on behalf of the North American Butterfly Association. Her fierce determination to protect access to a once vibrant recreational waterway and the only source of fresh water for 6 million people, along with public and private green space, threatened and endangered species, and the integrity of a critical migration corridor, were recognized by defenders of wildlife who selected Wright to receive their 2019 Spirit of Defenders Award for Conservation Advocacy. She's a graduate of Columbia University and the mother of six, and seeks to preserve the beauty and diversity of this land for generations to come. So welcome, Mariana. How are things in South Texas today? Hi, Jay. They are very nice, but also very hot. Our canicula, which is the dog days of summer, have not broken yet. (laughs) You're waiting for that to happen, aren't you? We are, and to get some rain, we are in ever-worsening drought. Oh, my. So tell us about the National Butterfly Center uh, and how uh, how it originated. It is a project of the North American Butterfly Association, which began to acquire this property in 2002. And what's its purpose and mission? Our purpose is growing connection. So we have created the nation's largest native plant botanical garden, and it's primarily focused on host and nectar plants for butterflies from what was once a commercial onion field. This is a large-scale revegetation project located within the lower Rio Grande Valley Wildlife Conservation Corridor. It is an oasis for pollinators, especially butterflies, in an area designated for protection around 1970. Because less than 5% of our native habitat remains in South Texas. So uh, how did did this Butterfly Center get started, and why is it located in South Texas? So Dr. Jeffrey Glassberg, who is the president and founder of NABA, has for many, many years led butterfly tours all over the world where he takes people in search of butterflies to observe them, to photograph them, to study them. And he used to lead a tour to Mission, Texas, to the Rio Grande Valley. And on one of those trips, one of his registrants said, this is so cool. Imagine if there were a place here open year-round for people to come again and again 
or on their own whenever they wanted to and experience the wonder of wild free-flying butterflies in this unique landscape. And he said, that's a really cool idea. And they went over to the Chamber of Commerce and spoke to a woman there. And Dr. Glassberg says they fully expected to be laughed out the door. (laughs) But instead, the woman said, that's a really neat idea. Let me see if I can connect you to some people. And she did. Her name was Viola. And she connected Dr. Glassberg to a local developer who had a passion for developing in harmony with nature, in preserving habitat, in doing native landscaping and all of that, as his property is next to the corridor and Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park, and what became then the National Butterfly Center. So that's how it all began. Is the center located on 500 acres, or do you have multiple sites that you um, take care of? At this point, it's two locations. We have 100 acres at the original site and 350 acres at the property we recently acquired from the Nature Conservancy. Is South Texas a particularly strong area for the number of butterflies that are found? It absolutely is. Within the four counties that make up the Rio Grande Valley, and these four counties would fit inside San Diego County, California. So we're not talking about an enormous landmass. But within these four counties, we have 11 biologically distinct ecotypes. And so butterflies, each butterfly species is intimately connected to maybe one or a couple of plant species for their survival. People understand that with monarchs, I think. They understand that monarchs must have milkweed in order to complete their life cycle for their larvae, for the caterpillars, to consume that plant, which they are obligated to eat, in order to become adult butterflies. That's true for every single butterfly. And so where you have this incredible diversity of flora, of plants, you also have this incredible diversity of fauna, of the insects and other wildlife that rely upon these, uh, this diversity of plants. And so there are about 700 species of butterflies in North America, and about 350 of them, about half of them, can be found within this four-county region. Uh This is the only place in North America with that volume of diversity. Uh, I believe that your website also notes that uh, there are uh, quite a variety of bee species on the properties that you are are handling? Well, you know, when you plant for the butterflies and you create nectar sources, you're going to lure in the other pollinators. So, yes, we have an enormous diversity of native bee species. These are being studied by Paula Sharp and Ross Eatman, who have um, an exhibit that is traveling museums across the country now on wild bees and their importance. 
And um, they've actually referred to the National Butterfly Center as Mecca for native bees in North America. So recently a film was made at the Butterfly Center by Ann Johnson Prom. Tell us about that. Well, Ann came and filmed a portion of a nature for PBS documentary here. It was called Sex, Lies, and Butterflies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's all about butterflies. It's about their relationship to moths, their evolutionary biology, their importance to every landscape around the world, and to our resilience in the face of climate change. Is that film available in in any way that people could take a look at it? I believe there is a link to the film on our website. I don't know if a paywall has gone up for that, but you should be able to access it through your local PBS provider, wherever you are. So, Mariana, tell us about the monarch butterfly. I've heard that it's endangered, uh, and then I've heard otherwise. Uh, What is it? Well, the monarch butterfly in North America is not endangered. This is a hot topic because the butterfly is iconic. It's, you know, across the three continents. Most people have had firsthand experiences with them, and they're big, and they're beautiful, and they have this epic life story. But the truth is, the monarch is a globally secure species. And even within North America, the monarch is not at risk of extinction. What is imperiled is the transcontinental migration. And that means that it is possible that one day we could see that transcontinental migration come to an end and have year-round residential communities of monarchs, such as already exist in Southern Florida and the Texas Gulf Coast and Southern California, because there is so much pressure for the butterfly to survive and go through the four or five generations that it takes to cover that journey where milkweed is disappearing from the landscape. So it's just like human beings. If we can't find food, we can't survive. And milkweed is essential for the monarch. Milkweed is the only food that their caterpillars can consume to become adult butterflies. Uh So are there other butterflies that are endangered in North America? Yes, there are. There are about 29 species, I believe, right now that are federally listed as endangered. And there are about a dozen more that are really seriously at risk of disappearing. And that's largely due to shrinking habitat. And so there are some that have not been listed like the Zesto Skipper, the Dakota Skipper, and the Manfreda Giant Skipper, which are under severe pressure or presumed extirpated from North America. What does skipper mean as identifying a butterfly? A skipper is a family of butterflies. So there are various families of butterflies. There are swallowtails 
sulfurs, blues, brushfoot, skippers. The American snout is its own species of butterfly, its own family, rather. And so butterflies are not something that most people pay a whole lot of attention to. They notice bees and wasps because many people have a fear of them. They noticed ants and uh, mosquitoes because those, you know, can sting and harm termites, you know, different things that uh, people feel like they have to pay attention to, but they don't necessarily notice all of the pollinators that are essential to life on Earth. And those are beetles and bats, hummingbirds and butterflies. We touched upon bees and a variety of other insects that keep our native grasses, wildflowers, trees, and shrubs reproducing. So there are most plants that are other than milkweed that butterflies are dependent on? Yes, every butterfly has only one or a few host plants that it can use to sustain Uh itself. Uh So the Manfreda giant skipper, which was last seen in the early 1980s in North America, is dependent upon a plant called Manfreda, Uh which comes in four or five different varieties. And that plant is very limited in range It only can be found, it only grows in the wild native to South Texas. So due to grazing and development and herbicide use, even drought and things like that, the plant is disappearing from the landscape. And when we wipe out the plant that the butterfly depends on, we wipe out the butterfly. Are the butterflies affected by the tremendous heat that you're having this year in your area? They are. Now, butterflies like heat. You Uh know, they like it to be about 70 degrees or hotter Uh because they need their core body temperature warm in order to fly and feed and mate and and do all of those things. They're basically cold-blooded. But when things get too hot as they have been here, when the temperatures at night do not drop to where we reach a dew point, the disappearance of moisture can mean they dry up in their chrysalises. So even if you've got eggs laid on host plants and the larvae hatch from those eggs, they're eating their host plants, they go through their five stages of larval growth. They're five instars as ever larger caterpillars. And then they go into chrysalis. They need moisture to shed their chrysalis and emerge or eclose as a butterfly. And without that, it's like fruit withering on the vine. What happens to butterflies in the wintertime when it's colder? Well, many butterflies simply do not reproduce in the wintertime. So the eggs are not laid, the caterpillars or larvae do not hatch, the chrysalids freeze just like any living 
sure. specimens might right. of the butterfly. Some butterflies basically hibernate, mm-hmm. like the painted ladies and the morning cloaks. Those are known to find a crevice or like under the bark of a tree where they can stay warm for many, many months and just wait out the winter weather like that. So it depends on how cold it gets where you are. Some caterpillars go into the ground where they can stay warm. We see that with some Arctic species of butterflies. So there are a variety of strategies that they use to endure the winter. We just don't normally get to see them because it's not warm enough for them to be out flying around. And chances are, especially if you live in some place with snow, they're not going to find their host plants. Has climate change uh, had an effect on butterflies? It is definitely affecting butterflies because adaptation among plant and animal species doesn't always happen very rapidly. So adjusting to warmer temperatures, to a lack of moisture or to too much moisture, coming back appropriately after uh, natural catastrophes like floods and wildfires uh, can significantly impact habitat and the presence of host plants. So it's not just human development like paving over a parking lot. It's also the changes in our climate that are putting the host plants under so much pressure that the butterflies cannot reproduce. How about the border wall? Has it had an effect? Well, you know, millions of people say, what does the border wall matter? Because butterflies can fly over a border wall. Yeah. What matters, again, is the disappearance of habitat. And for every new mile of border wall under the Trump administration and the Biden administration, because they have expanded the enforcement zone, the area that is cleared and and maintained devoid of vegetation for the wall, they're clearing a minimum of 20 acres per mile. Uh-huh. And the majority of that is occurring within the lower Rio Grande Valley Wildlife Conservation Corridor. So it's not occurring in areas that were already developed. Right. It's occurring in this very slender stretch of native habitat along the Rio Grande River that was set aside for the preservation of species, and now it's all being bulldozed. So it's the disappearance of habitat that matters, Uh especially when we're talking about butterflies that have a host plant that is limited to this region. And many people think that all butterflies migrate, and that is simply not true. Most butterflies are endemic to a specific region, to a specific ecosystem where their host plant can be found. Uh So some other butterflies that are under uh, pressure, critical pressure to survive, are like the Powasheek skipper. And these are Midwestern butterflies, the Dakotas to maybe 
Wisconsin, Illinois areas where they have always relied on your prairies. But as those change, the butterflies are disappearing. So uh, what's the program of the Butterfly Center? So our mission is growing connections, and we do that through direct action and environmental education. Uh Our direct action is propagating these native plants, revegetating land, working on recovery plans for endangered plants, and making many of the native plants that support butterflies available to the public so they can visit the National Butterfly Center, see the plants that they like, how they work, and actually purchase them from us and take them home and plant them in their yards. Uh We want everybody to replicate our native plant garden in their, you know, in their homes, in their communities. And the other thing we do is education. We're open to the public. We have educational exhibits. We do a variety of programs. We're partners with Girl Scouts of America, and we serve about 6,000 school children a year who come for traditional field education at the National Butterfly Center where our staff are Project WILD certified. And so we teach from a a time-honored, hands-on, experiential uh, curriculum that we hope helps not only children, but their teachers and everyone fall in love with butterflies and birds and all of the bugs so that they will want to enjoy them for a lifetime and protect them for generations to come. Is your education program available to schools? So some of our curriculum is available online, but Project WILD is the nation's oldest and most widespread curriculum. It is available in all 50 states. Does the American Butterfly Association have locations elsewhere in the country? No, it does not. We are the pilot project and the only bricks and mortar that uh, they have, uh-huh. the, only, the only building. Now, they are working on other projects to sustain other butterflies in other communities. There is the Florida Butterfly Movement. This uh-huh. is a NABA project in the Miami-Dade County area. You know, we talked about the species that are uh, endangered or imperiled threatened. Many of these are in Florida, like Uh the Miami Blue, Shouse's Swallowtail, Bertram's Hair Streak, the Florida Leafwing. Several of these species are dependent upon an ecosystem called the Pine Rocklands. So this ecosystem is peculiar to Southern Florida. And even from television, people know how developed Miami is. (laughs) <laughs> and and land is at a premium. So as land gets cleared and converted to residential use and industrial right. use, schools and all of that, the native plants disappear and along with them the butterflies. So well, NABA is working with public and private entities along with NABA chapters in Florida to restore pine rockland habitat to support these butterflies. Uh-huh. Do you have a manual that uh, people can get 
who are far away from where, from South Texas, that will tell them about plants that they can put in the ground and attract butterflies? So Jane Hurwitz has written a book called Butterfly Gardening, I believe. Oh. Her last name is H-U-R-W-I-T-Z, so you can find this through the National Butterfly Center gift shop or on Amazon, and it does address this across the nation. We also have NABA chapters, about 30 of them across the country, so you can search for a chapter near you. We also encourage people to contact or join their local Native Plant Society or Native Plant Project. And if all else fails, reach out to their County Agricultural Extension Service, which will know the native plants endemic to that area. Well, we're almost out of time, Arianna, but tell us about the Texas Butterfly Festival. Well, the Texas Butterfly Festival occurs every year. It's either the last weekend of October or the first weekend of November, depending on how the calendar falls. And it's three days of expert guided field trips across the four county region to public and private butterfly areas. Some are private gardens, some are national wildlife refuge tracks, and even public irrigation districts and things like that where we know the butterflies are. And mm -hmm. people from all over the world come for those three days of immersive butterfly, butterflying. I guess we can call it a, a sport. <laughs> and it's all observation and photography. We do not support the taking or killing of butterflies in any way. But many people come just for the thrill of it. They've never seen so many butterflies, uh -huh. both volume and variety. Some are adding to their life list of species that they have seen. Others come every single year for the camaraderie. It's oh, like a family reunion, but of the family you've chosen. <laughs> uh, and when is this? What time of year is this? So it occurs during the peak of butterfly season, and our, our butterfly season peaks at that time of year because usually our rains begin after Labor Day. Oh, I see. So we have tremendous rain, which fuels the growth and flowering of the plants. So nature provides then that the pollinators bloom as well mm. in order to pollinate those plants and keep the life cycles going. Uh -huh. This is also the time that the monarchs are typically migrating through. So some people come in the hopes of witnessing and experiencing the monarchs on their way to Michoacan. Now, that migration is always uh, affected by wind currents and weather patterns. So we, we never guarantee anyone that experience. Uh -huh. But... Um, Let's see, I've been running the festival now. This will be my 11th year running mm. the festival. Uh -huh. And I would say five years out of those 11, we have had the migration pass through during the Butterfly Festival and get to see or experience it in some way. Well, Mariana, we have exhausted our time, but uh, you do have a website, right? And uh... Yes, we have. We have several 
We have uh, the National Butterfly Center dot uh-huh. org. We have the Texas Butterfly Festival dot com, uh-huh. and we have Mission Monarchs dot com as well. If people are only interested in monarchs, there's right. good information there as well. Very good. Okay, well, thanks very much, Mariana. Uh, we've exhausted our time, but really appreciate it. It's great to be talking with you. Find out about uh, the Butterfly Center. Thank you so much, Jay. Our guest today has been Mariana Trevino-Wright, Executive Director of the National Butterfly Center down in Mission, Texas, which is close to Brownsville. So this has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.